0: Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, risk managers. Ooh, listen up. Hey, let's talk to you, business owners and you, business managers. Your risk managers are being forced to prove that they are adding value to the business. At the very same time, they're faced with a range of choices on how and where they implement risk management practices. That's what they do, and which, if any, technology innovations they can use to drive success. That's a lot of a lot of risk to put in their lap. I have a panel of experts who are going to help us figure it out and come out with answer system really important question. So let's get started. Today, my panel is headed by Sarit van Lagerenberg. She's calling all the way from South Africa. She is a manager of risk and compliance for Exaro Resources Limited, and she implemented an award-winning risk management program in South Africa, where I am told risk management standards are very high. Here's the quote Sarit sent me. Governance, risk, and compliance, you all know that as GRC, is not about ticking boxes for the sake of compliance. Applied correctly, GRC is a set of interrelated business processes to ensure we create value for shareholders and the broader stakeholder community. Welcome, Sarit van Lagrenberg from South Africa. How are you today?
2: I'm very well, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. It's a real privilege to be on your show, and I'm quite excited to share some of my experience here from the the very south of Africa, Um, and I hope we can chat and leverage from each other's knowledge in this space to actually help one another, you know, to spear this in the right direction.
1: We certainly will. um, Yes, talk to me about your quote, Sarita. I want to know. This is very interesting. Let's start off. Go ahead. You know, a couple of years ago, um, I
2: was on a, a, a huge reorganization initiative that was launched in our company to restructure and basically re-engineer all our current business processes to ensure that we we remain sustainable for the future. And Mm -hmm. that has been proving quite problematic in the South African economy. I think worldwide we've all faced numerous economic challenges. You know, commodity price volatility um, is a is a is a huge game changer in, in the mining industry. We have a lot of labour um, issues in South Africa at the moment. So we needed to, to reorganise ourselves to ensure that we remain sustainable. In doing that, we had to prove that every business process that we wanted to have in our company needed to provide value. So immediately that posed a challenge for for me as the team lead for governance, risk and compliance because I was not allowed to design something that ultimately would not be adding value to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And so I had really um, busied myself looking at, at governance, risk, and compliance and what it essentially should mean to the business, because I spent um, the majority of my career up to that point um, at KPMG ticking a lot of boxes, um, and I thought to myself, this is not what business could be about. It can't be about ticking boxes. Ultimately, we want to ensure that we are profitable and that we create value not only for our shareholders but for the bigger stakeholder community out there. So essentially to me, governance, risk and compliance is not about ensuring compliance to either SOX or COSO or COVID or ISO 31000. It's about how the company is directed and controlled, how to ensure that we make decisions effectively to ensure that those decisions that we make are based on a value system. And risk to me is about ensuring that we remain proactive as a, an organization, be that at board level or at the deep operational coal face um, level. And then compliance finally to me is about remaining sustainable. I think all the, the various pieces of legislation and regulation that have been introduced over the last years are things that we should have been doing in any way. So a lot mm-hmm. of it is legislating a value system and that I think you know, we need to turn around and say, we want to comply because we want to ensure that as a business, as a company, we want to exist in the future.
1: Sarit, thank you. Great introduction to our topic. I'm also very excited and privileged to have you on the show. Scott Mitchell, you're second up on the panel. Scott Mitchell is chair of the global nonprofit OCEG. Scott's been on the show before, and OCEG is, I'm told, one of the leading think tanks on GRC activities. So Scott sent me the following quote from none other than Confucius. I want to say Confucius say, better a diamond with a flaw than a pebble without. Welcome, Scott Mitchell. How are you today?
3: Hey, Bonnie, great to be back on your show. And actually, Sarit really provided the perfect lead into to this. Uh, you know, I think all too often, as we are putting together programs, and what I mean by program isn't a computer program, but rather all the people process, technology, to be sure, reporting and o- other structures in our organizations. Um, you know, and, I, and we see this a lot, is not only do we implement programs that are just checking boxes, but just one step above box checking is what I'll just call a boring program, something that's really, it just seems like people are phoning it in where, uh, you know, we may not be checking regulatory boxes, but indeed we're checking, um, you know, maybe some best practices which, uh, which people have identified. And, you know, what I like to say sometimes is that, that best practices sometimes just means stuff that other people are doing. It doesn't really mean best. And, you know, so if you think about this quote, it's better to try to go, you know, go for broke, try to do something meaningful, try to do something super valuable and maybe get it a little bit wrong. Maybe it'll be a little bit flawed, but instead of, you know, shooting for a pebble, shoot for that diamond in the program you're trying to put in place, Uh, shoot for the diamond in the technology we're trying to put in place. And in this context, uh, and like I said, really, really linked to what Sarit was saying, this has to do with game t- changing technologies that help us improve our strategies and decision making and less around technologies that do things like well you know i don't know map a control to a certain process and that's all that the you know that's all that we're implementing you know really try to implement technologies that help us make better decisions engage in better strategies and in fact allow us to select strategies that we otherwise wouldn't be able to select because we have these types of capabilities in our firms.
1: Thank you very much, Scott. Thanks for adding on to what Sarit said. I know Sarit dropped in a rumor, has it, that she is back on the line. So welcome back, Sarit. And we're moving right along with our opening. I'm going to welcome our third panelist, also a return guest on SAP Game Changers Radio. It's Bruce McQuaig. He is Director of Solution Marketing for Governance, Risk, and Compliance Solutions at SAP. And Bruce is an experienced risk management practitioner with interest and experience in the application of tech innovations. And Bruce sent me the following quote. From Russell Ackoff. I'm going to read the quote and then ask you who Russell Ackoff is, Bruce. So the quote: This is a humdinger. The more efficient you are at doing the wrong thing, the wronger you become. It is much better to do the right thing wronger than the wrong thing righter. If you do the right thing wrong and correct it, you get better. I love it, Bruce McQuaig. Welcome back. How are you today?
4: I'm great, Bonnie, and thank you for having me on the show. And uh, I'd like to thank the other panelists as well. So you asked me who Russell Ackoff was, and I regret to say I only became aware of Russell Ackoff when I read his obituary about four years ago. He was a prominent U.S. management consultant, and I read this quote as part of his obituary, and it struck me uh, very, very hard, and it's kind of influenced a lot of what I've done since then. I'm looking right now at a blog one of my colleagues wrote in, in one of our blog sites about something called an auto motor horse, and it's basically a mechanical device, just as automobiles were coming out around the turn of the century. Somebody said, well... What I'll do is I'll design a mechanical device that looks like a horse. You can sit on it like a horse, but we'll just motorize the wheels instead of hooves. Um, an example, I think, of doing the wrong thing wronger as opposed to the wrong thing righter. And in the risk management world, um, I, I know we have this traditional way of looking at risk. Well, what's the risk and how big is the risk? And going at it from a top-down perspective, another way of looking at that is that, is that most everything we need to know about risks in our business today we know it's out there someplace in some data that we manage Mm -hmm. actively as part of our business and if it's not sitting in some form of data it's sitting in somebody's head who works for us or who knows us very well so why don't we employ technology to pull that data out and to pull those points of view out from the people in the business let's try doing doing the right thing wronger a little bit and, and finally get it right rather than persisting in, in you know, ignoring the inherent power of technology to transform the way we work. So that's what struck me, and I run into examples every day of, uh, of I think, doing the wrong thing wronger, making the wrong thing more efficient and claiming you know, ROI because we're doing something cheaper. Well, it's the wrong thing cheaper in many cases, and uh, I'm interested in doing it right.
1: I appreciate that. Bruce, it brings to mind an old saying, uh, two wrongs don't make a right. Is that sort of a a mathematical derivation of what you're saying here?
4: Um, That's kind of it. Uh, It's it's a change thing as well, but uh, (laughs) you can't get better doing something wrong, I think. is uh, You can't get better doing the wrong thing more.
1: Great point. It sounds like a mantra for life in general and not just our topic, risk management. Well, I know that my panel can't do anything wrong on my next question because we do it all the time on the show, and Scott has done it. Bruce has done it. Now it's time for Sarit to be introduced to the segment called What's in Your Cup Today. Sarit van Lagerenberg at Pretoria, South Africa. What are you drinking right now, or what do you wish you're drinking, or what are you planning to drink after the show? Sarit, go ahead. I
2: almost lost you guys there, so I was so um. So disappointed because I thought I won't be able to share what I have in my glass in front of me today, and <laughs> um, because it's I think very exciting because it's 7 p.m. in Pretoria already. I have in front of me a glass of pinotage, and it, what is interesting about that it's a red one made from the pinotage grape, and it's um, you only actually find this variety in South Africa. Um, so if if I smell it, it's really mm-hmm. nice smoky it's got nice earthy flavors to it and maybe some notes of some tropical fruit as well i think so yes i'm i'm toasting a glass to you guys over there
1: thank you very much is it a red or white did you say what color it was a, i didn't hear a, that it's a red one it's a
2: it's a it's a red one. and um, yeah so um, a combination i think it was planted originally in 1925 and um, and i think it's
1: it's a some or other it's a mix between a sao and something else. Thank you very much, Sarit. That's a very interesting drink. And we do have guests from other parts of the world who tell us either they're already drinking the wine or they're ready to pop the cork as soon as the show is over. Scott Mitchell, where are you today and what's in your cup?
3: Well, uh, I'm in Arizona, and it's just after 10 a.m., so I'm not drinking wine. Uh, but as always <laughs> in the morning, I, I tend to drink either coffee or tea, and today I'm drinking tea, uh, it's called Long Ching Cha, which is, and I, if there's any Mandarin speakers listening, I apologize for what I've just done to the Mandarin Chinese language there, but Long Ching Cha is, uh, is a Dragonwell tea, and it's picked, uh, the best Dragonwell tea is always picked in the spring, um, and in fact, the tea I am drinking right now, I am told, was picked just a month ago, it was the first picking of it, so.
1: Oh, that's very fresh, good to know, thank you very much, Scott, and Bruce McQuaig, tell me where you are and what's in your cup.
4: Thanks, Bonnie. Well, I'm on uh, what they call the west coast of Ontario, which is uh, on the shore of Lake Huron, looking west across Lake Huron, about 200 uh, kilometers west of Toronto. And, uh, <clears throat> I, by the way, I have had some of that pinotage that Syrette has talked about. I've been to South Africa, and uh, the, we get it here occasionally, but that's not what I'm drinking right now at all, although I may look for some later on today. Uh, mm. It's been a long, cold winter here, and it's a long, late spring, and I'm looking out at it my garden, and it's... A dull, overcast day in the gardens, uh, struggling to, uh, you know, come up out of the ground and turn green. And so I thought what I'd do today is just have some plain old Florida orange juice to brighten my day. And not as exciting as Pinotage and not as exciting as the tea that Scott's drinking, but <laughs> it's been a better mood than, uh, than the weather has so far. So that's what I'm drinking today.
1: I agree. You know, I'm here on the North Shore of Long Island, New York. It has been a very long, lingering winter, Bruce, for us, and it's gorgeous out today. But somebody just told me it's really chilly, and it's really windy, and we still aren't there yet. The daffodils have come and gone. The crocuses have come and gone. All kinds of things are starting to bloom, but I sense the ground is still cold. So, but they only let me have water on show days. You and Scott already know that. No caffeine for Bonnie. I'm just going to mention a couple of topics we're going to cover on our our show today, and then we're going go to break. So those of you who are listening, you're going to learn what the leading risk management practitioners are doing to add business value to the business. We're going to talk about how leading thinkers are developing tools and frameworks to drive value from risk management. And we're going to talk about where technology fits into this whole thing. Where does it fit? What's its niche in the world of risk management? And what promise does technology hold for you risk managers for driving value? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. In case you didn't know that, you are listening to our live Monday. May 5th, 2014 edition of Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. This is episode number nine in season two if you're keeping track. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I'll be right back with Sarit Van Lagerenberg at XRO Resources in South Africa, Scott L. Mitchell, the chair of the global nonprofit OCEG. We'll find out more about that later. And Bruce McQuaig at SAP. We'll be right back after the break. Michael out.
0: Unleash the leadership potential of your finance talent now. Your business needs more than just compliant reports. Today's leading finance departments are asked to support business decision-making to help companies to succeed. With SAP's risk and finance solutions, you can provide the advisory that decision-makers are looking for. No matter what data source, no matter where you are, you can find the information you need to add value. Give your finance talent the right tools to be up to the challenge. www.sap.com. Um... SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions, Send an email to Bonnie.d.gram at SAP.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with game changers.
1: Here we are. Welcome back after the break. Our topic today is Risk Management, Driving Value by Leveraging Technology. My panel of experts today, they certainly are Sarit Van Lagerenberg at Xaro Resources Limited in South Africa, Scott L. Mitchell at OCEG, and Bruce McQuaig at SAP. Let's start our marathon roundtable. We're going to go about 25 minutes without a break. I know my panel is up to it. We're going to start off with some notes Sarit sent me before the show. I'll read this comment, Sarit. Why don't you kick it off, and then we'll ask Scott and Bruce to join in. So, Sari told me, Exaro, the company where she works, realized from the start that risk management is about the improvement of risk culture, not necessarily about risk analysis, and that risk should also be linked to the business unit, departmental, and group objectives. That sounds like a very tall order. Why don't you get us started, Sari? Go ahead, please.
2: Yes, thanks, Bonnie. I think, you know, um, as with all things in life, um, the human factor is what what is proving to be most difficult in business. And with risk management, that is especially so. Um, I think um, a lot of consultancies are selling the, the, the jargon or the term risk management so that they are able to sell different types of solutions to companies, be that software solutions or um, analysis solutions. So everybody's on this bandwagon and I think they have really overcomplicated it in, in, in a sense. Um, risk management to Exaro is actually about proactive thinking at all the layers in the organisation, be that at board level um, or at operational level. So what we are saying is that we need to be proactive we need to be proactive in the day-to-day tasks that we are executing. We need to be proactive about the strategies that we are carving out for ourselves, understanding what are the challenges that will um, influence these strategic objectives. So it asks of everybody in the organisation to, to take part in this risk management journey. Um, and I think, you know, in working from an organisation organization where we have a lot of engineers, um, Risk managers tend to jump into the analysis, so they do a lot of calculations and they do a lot of Monte Carlo simulations about unpacking the probability of this risk, but they're not taking a step back and they're asking, not to themselves, what is driving this risk? What is the root cause? of this unwanted event that I want to prevent? And then finally, what are the different consequences related to this unwanted event? Um, right in the beginning, you know, um, risk management was about financial impact and uh, and people only wanted to manage the financial impact of an unwanted event. But then they started to realize that an unwanted event like industrial action has different types of impacts um, that can stem from this unwanted event. And it's not only um, about the one financial impact. It's how am I su- exposed to other consequences as well? And how are my controls really managing not only the consequences, but also the root causes, the different root causes that can trigger this unwanted event? Um, so to us in Xoro, we've said, you know, we need to change the culture. We need to um, make everybody part of this journey and we need for them to realize that even if you um, pour the coffee or the tea in this building, you um, have eyes and ears, you can see things that are unwanted events that need to be managed and
1: be prevented and we can all play a part in that. Thank you, Sarit. Great intro to our roundtable. Scott Mitchell at OCEG. Tell us just before you, you uh, add on to what Sareet said, Scott, remind us, what does OCEG do? I know you, you achieve principled performance and you integrate GRC and ethics, but how does this apply to this concept of the risk management culture that Sareet was talking about?
3: Sure. So, I mean, OCEG is, a, as you mentioned, it's a global nonprofit. We actually have 45,000 members now. And the membership is comprised, it's comprised of uh, risk officers, compliance executives, audit executives, um, uh, you know, ethics practitioners and the like. It's really kind of an interdisciplinary uh, group of people that are collaborating on ideas and solutions to tackle problems like this. Uh, And so what's interesting, you know, when you have all these people in a room, it's it's a great kind of hearing what Sarit's doing in her own company because it really reflects a lot of what our membership is doing together as mm-hmm. well. You know, trying to focus on not just the box checking, but on some of the, the more, uh, I'll call it kind of elevated practices, not best practices, because as I mentioned before, I sometimes think best practice just means stuff other people are doing, and it rarely means best. Uh, best mm-hmm. practices tend to emerge in just a few companies, and they don't really be they don't really get communicated all that rapidly, uh, unless you're able to pull people together from different uh, different disciplines, like we have.
1: Okay, thank you very much. So uh, you agree about the culture?
3: I do. I do. You know, it it, it actually kind of ties back to a theme that we're seeing um, that I've already kind of introduced as as in in the beginning of the program where. Uh, and just this notion of best practice where I think sometimes we're applying our technology in more rote ways, meaning, uh, you know, it, it's one thing to have technology that will map, say, a business objective, and then people identify, well, what are those risks, and therefore what controls we put in place. Uh, Bruce called that kind of that top-down approach, and where I think Sarita's going and where I do think it's more interesting is thinking about how do we, how do we then apply technology, not necessarily just to do some top-down rote analysis, but rather how do we get more human beings in the organization interacting with one another to uncover some of these things? You know, if you look at the biggest disasters that have caused real economic impact on companies, what I mean by that are, Uh, unexpected billion dollar fines or unexpected, uh, you know, companies just evaporating, (laughs) going out of business, Mm -hmm. Uh, those things were never caught by a control. They were never caught by some kind of top-down analysis that implemented either a piece of technology or a piece of paperwork being filled out, where they tended to be caught or where people were able to identify that risk materializing, it was a human being that did it you know, either a whistleblower or not even a whistleblower, just somebody in the organization, and over time making the case that, you know, this wasn't the right way to do things. Now, I can only imagine how many businesses don't suffer that horrible consequence, right, because of all the good work of human beings that have identified risks and and have been able to deal with it. Um, But it does make me think, you know, can we use technology to facilitate more of that human interaction instead of doing what we tend to do, which is try to use technology to factor the human out of the equation.
1: Mm-hmm. we Scott we need to uh, later on in the discussion talk about who these right people are who are the right people who will will enhance and add to this culture and and how do you get people who are not just saying oh I found a new best practice we're going to implement it in the next right, right. Thir- 32 days and I have a budget for it and everybody gather around in the auditorium and we're going to talk about it. it very good points and I believe your points go way past risk management into a lot of the business culture they across do. the board yes very very good thank you Bruce McQuig I know you're dying to say something here what do you think?
4: Well, a couple of things. First of all, I want to tie back to what uh, Sarit said um, in terms of uh, developing a risk culture and in terms of thinking about objectives, not just the risk. I mean, repeating a wonderful, colorful picture of a, of a risk doesn't, doesn't do much good unless you understand uh, what it does to impact the, the business objectives you're facing. And I also think that what Scott said about involving people is important, too. But let me give you an example, and I'm coming back to the point that uh, Sarit said about um, understanding what causes risks, what what makes them happen in the first place. I recall Mm -hmm. many years ago I was uh, an auditor with what was then Gulf Oil Corporation in Houston, Texas, and I lived just outside of Houston in a place called Kingwood, Texas, and I joined the volunteer fire department, didn't have a regular fire department, joined the volunteer fire department. And one of the first things I did, because I moved there just before school started when my kids went to school, we went and did a fire inspection at the school. And being an auditor, I thought, well, I know how to do this. I'm just going to go around and (laughs) take a little checklist and make sure there's fire extinguishers where they ought to be and make sure that they're fully charged and make sure that they've been inspected. And the the people I worked with stopped me in my tracks. They said, wait a second. Every time anybody uses a fire extinguisher in this school, we have failed in our job. It doesn't Mm. matter how many fire extinguishers you, you have or what kind they are or how big they are, fire extinguishers don't prevent fires. So just sitting here in trying to figure out how to, how to control the fires doesn't really count. We need to understand what causes the fires, and what causes the fires are combustible material, and we've got to look for anything that's combustible, and what causes the fires are sources of ignition, things that can spark, cause a spark that cause things to burn. So that was my first lesson in risk management. And you can extrapolate that to what are the events and conditions that cause a, a company to lose 100 million customer credit card records. What has to precede that? and who knows about that in the organization? And how do we harness that knowledge? What are the events and conditions that can cause a, a well in the Gulf of Mexico or any place else to go out of control? Because the people on that rig know what those events and conditions are, and sure. they know where they're occurring. So how do we harness that? So what I think we have to do is what I call managing risk from the left-hand side. Manage it before we even have to put a control in place. Understand for those kinds of risks, we cannot accept what causes it and how we can influence those things. And I think there's all kinds of opportunity for employing technology to do that, and I think Scott talked about it, and I think S- Ed is, is doing it.
1: Bruce, I have one question for you. You said the types of risk we cannot accept. Is there a scale? Is there a sliding scale of, well, this is okay, well, not so much, and up to well, the well, OMG, you know, you've got me, to be kidding me.
4: Let me give you an example. When you mm-hmm. uh, get in your car and go to the grocery store, you buckle your seatbelt. You don't do an analysis of... Uh, You know, how many DUIs have been, uh, you know, found on the road? How many accidents have there been? You don't get to phone the weather department to get a road report. You say, I'm going to buckle my seatbelt, and I'm going to accept the risks that I might face driving to the grocery store because I think they're about one in a million or more. So you're accepting those risks. You've got a little Mm -hmm. control in place to help you get over it. All kinds of situations in business are like that, too. Or you say, okay, uh, you know, I'm not going to block down the ability to make a duplicate payment so that we can never possibly conceivably make one because that's too much money and uh, and uh, I can't do that. So there's lots of cases in business where we implicitly accept risks. Uh, I'm just trying to make those things explicit and uh, mm-hmm. design the responses we need so that we can live with the risk we can accept.
1: Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate that. So Reed or Scott, anything else to add what? to this thread? He- because... Yes, go ahead, because I'm ready to go in another direction when Bobby, you're done. Go can, ahead, Sereet. Yes, if mm-hmm. I can add, add to that. Um, you know, being a
2: lawyer, um, laws and regulations used to be my friend, and I always regarded that to be my bread and butter. But um, once I've jumped into the governance, risk, and compliance space, I've realized that with risk management, laws and regulations and best practice codes have really become my enemy. And the, and the reason for that is that that um, example, That Bruce just gave, um, you know, of people having a conversation about what what causes the risk and what are the potential impacts of a risk. And we couldn't have that conversation in Xara, the reason being that we had different um sets of regulation, uh, regulating different aspects of risk management. So you had COVID in the, the IT industry and the risk managers in the IT industry, um, were practicing COVID and wanted to tick those boxes and they said, you know, they want to use the terminology in COVID. And likewise, you had it, um, you know, with the internal auditors, they were a with COSO and what that meant to them. And then on the other hand, you had the project managers um, practicing PMBOK and they wanted to use the terminology and the process in PMBOK. And that, all these different types of laws and regulations prevented us from having a conversation about what is causing risk and how does it impact the organization and its objectives. So, you know, these, these almost these codes of practice has become my enemy in the sense that they are so silo-based and they look so, um, you know, only in their sort of, uh, in their space that um, one could not have a conversation like that in Exora. And what we needed to do was actually um, explain to people what risk management is for, why do we want to do this, and um, extract the commonalities out of all these different codes of practice and, and um, uh, approaches so that we have an Xara approach to risk management that is not an ISA 31,000 approach or a COSO approach or a COVID um, approach or a PMBOK approach but an exora approach and that we can use terms that have a meaning in our company that are mm-hmm. not necessarily um, you know, just a, a functional term that an IT person uses or an
1: internal auditor. Right. I think that's I just... very important. Not just a cookie cutter. Thank you. Bruce or Scott, anything to add? Because I want to go to one of Scott Mitchell's discussion points. Everybody good with where we are? Yep. Yep. Okay. I'm assuming you are. Okay, Scott Mitchell, you sent me a couple notes about the value of technology. Let's turn in that direction. I'm going to read this and then have you explain, please. You say, I worry that we're spending too much time and money on technology that ostensibly documents what we think we know instead of spending on technology that helps us get out there and make game-changing decisions and engage in game-changing strategies. And one more comment. You said, technology in this vein will leverage big data streams inside and outside and combine the information to illustrate and make more sense out of what is real instead of what is believed. So let's go to the value of technology, what is it supposed to do, and real versus believed. Scott, you want to start us, please?
3: Sure. You know, and, and some of this also has to do, there, there's, a, there's a context, which is all of us, uh, just as people, self-select into careers and, and, and things that, that hopefully play into uh, uh, activities that we like to do. And the reason why Mm -hmm. I mention that is, and I'll just speak for myself. You know, I've self-selected into this world uh, as chairman Mm -hmm. of 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 OSEG, OCEG, and and I have this tendency, and I've noticed this a lot with the the people with whom I interact at conferences. There's an overriding need in the in the risk management, uh, audit, compliance, legal professions to sort of make sense out of the world to um you know to sort of want to create this model and in fact uh if I go back to my auditing roots, you know, be able to document all of this. You know, if it's not documented, it's not real type type of uh mm-hmm. personality trait. And I think what that ends up doing is it does end, you know, sort of proliferates technology solutions and, and even if we put aside technology for the moment, it proliferates uh people processing technology together that aim to do that, aim to document what we know, aim to document reality. Um, and uh, I'm not saying that there's necessarily anything wrong with it, but if we're, going, if we're talking about allocating precious resources in the enterprise, we need to be careful on how much we allocate to that task, right? Just simply documenting what we know to make a certain subset of executives in the company feel better that they understand what's happening, may or may not always be the best incremental use of a dollar. And that's where I get into thinking about some of these other, you know, what are basically risk management technologies. But uh, to use Bruce's phrase, more to the left side of the equation, the the technologies that help us know more about what we don't know, help provide data, analysis, information that um, inform us more about the world we don't understand today and that we hope to understand tomorrow, or another way of putting it, uh, part of the world that we don't understand today, but we're going to have to play in tomorrow. You know, the, probably the biggest miss, I would say, in risk management programs and technology, is that the, that overwhelmingly, and I could, you know, we could sh- we could probably show you a map of where corporate spend is and the types of technologies, the types of solutions, and overwhelmingly, it's around documentation and underwhelmingly around sort of analytics, information gathering, and try to make, trying to make sense out of that.
1: Thank you, Scott. Bruce McQuaig, I'm sure you have something to add on this. Thoughts?
3: Well, I do. Um, I, I think, and I'll, I'll expand,
4: I think, on what Scott said as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what Scott's talking about is this notion we, we see sometimes in the GRC professions called assurance. Like, you want to make people comfortable, you want to make people happy, and I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I think it takes it takes a lot more, you know, shrewder analysis and a lot more focus than just documenting what we think we already know. One of the examples I wanted to bring to the table today was not so much technology focused I don't think technology can add value unless you really understand where the value of the business is. And mm-hmm. one thing that struck me in a, in a in a report I read back a couple of years ago was an analyst report, an equity report, where a, a, an analyst organization was trying to make buy sell recommendations on. The world's global airlines, and so they said to themselves, "You know, what's the distinguishing characteristic I can look at to understand what you know what what it would be a bad investment decision, what would be a bad airline to invest in, and what would be a good airline to invest in?" And they looked at all the global airlines—the ones you can picture, you know, in your minds, the big American airlines, the European airlines, Lufthansa, those sorts of things—and the atlas firm said, "The thing that I think will distinguish the airlines and cause winners and losers to appear." is customer experience. Not the size of the planes, the modern age of the fleet, not the landing Mm -hmm. rights, not those things. (laughs) Customer experience. So, and this was back in 2007. I suspect it's changed quite a bit today because I'm not sure we get the same customer experience we did in in 2007. But simply by looking at customer experience and that was driven by HR practices, how well uh, people were trained, how well they were hired, how well seniority lists were integrated, how well grievances were dealt with, how long it took to fill positions, all those sorts of things, a myriad of things that we could figure out or analyze from, a, from an analytical perspective were pretty good predictors of, of customer experience and turned out to be excellent predictors of which airlines would succeed and, and, and uh, prosper and which airlines, I'm looking back now to a, a report in 2007, and which airlines were good to stay away from and they, they made their calls almost 100% right based on what they thought was. Uh, a good value indicator for airlines at that time. So I just wanted to inject the notion that in addition to technology, we need to understand what are the critical things that we have to apply that technology to, the risk management skills to. And I think Surratt's done that in terms of, if you've looked at her reports, uh, and some of them you can are available on the web in terms of their integrated report, which I'd re- suggest people look at, she's certainly looking at the, the value drivers, I believe, of, uh, of her business in the mining company. And uh, I think it's something we all need to pay attention to.
1: Thank you, Bruce. I was actually the talking points in your list that I was going to come to next after we finished this thread, so I'm glad you brought them in. In terms of in order to drive value, risk management has to start with where the value is in the business. All good. Sarit, you want to uh, chime in? Anything you want to add to what Bruce said? Um, Yes, thanks, Bonnie. I think sometimes people implement technology because they
2: think they're going to solve a problem with that or that the technology is going to serve the purpose of what... um, human behavior should actually do and its I think it's a little bit like a married couple that have trouble and think they you know they're going to have a baby and that's going to solve everything that's unfortunately not the way um the cookie crumbles you know and and I've seen that with a number of unsuccessful implementations in our company i must say that we are one of the only um IT projects in our company that were that was done on time in budget um, and that achieved what we promised it would. So I think you know it, it's really back to what, um, how the technology can support the business process, not override it. And I think that's what we've done with our implementation, and what has stand us in good stead. Um, Bruce, your point on the integrated report. I think what technology also does it assists us to extract the the, the relevant pieces of data that can tell you a story. So now that we've um, been a year on, on SAP and our risk management system, um, you should certainly look at our new integrated report that is probably now published already on our web. But some of the important pieces of information that you can see out of our risk management process, and that is purely just because we collect um, a lot of data, is we saw that, that uh, about... Um, and Let me not quote myself incorrectly, yeah? Um, about... 60% of our root causes of our risk... No, I'm, sorry, I'm I'm incorrect. 80% of our, our risks have external root causes. Now, that is a very interesting statistic for a shareholder to look at because mm-hmm. it says that 80% of our risks um, may be beyond our control. Um, another interesting statistic is to say that um, 60% of them are people-related. So if we have... Um, a problem with people in our organization, with culture, um, you know, that is certainly going to put some of our strategic objectives at risk. Um, so we've, we've, we're able to, to extract um, very useful um, pieces of data out of our system, but it does not replace the human interaction with those pieces of
1: data. Thank you, Sareed. I, I want to uh, get into something. We, we're very close to break, actually. We're three minutes from break before we come back for our crystal ball predictions round, but there's a question I mentioned to Scott Mitchell when we started the show that I wanted to talk about, and I want to go around the table, first Scott, then Bruce, and so why don't you each take one minute, and the, the topic is, who are the right humans to get into the picture for decision-making when it comes to risk management, and the comment uh, Scott sent me is, obviously rather than trying to automate the human out of the picture, I'd like to see more innovation that automates the process of getting the right humans into the picture for risk to, for decision making. So, Scott, just in a minute, if you can give me an overview of how do we do this and who are the right people?
3: Sure. I mean, I, the, the short answer is everyone, because for virtually every type of uh, or category of risk in the organization, or I should maybe state it the other way every job family is going to have some cluster of risks um, that, they, that they are affected by, right? Now, uh, Bruce and Sarita both brought up the, this whole notion that you want to focus on those items that are most important to your organization and those value drivers. But then we just heard, you know, listen to that amazing number of kind of, uh, of, uh, of human-related risks that mm-hmm. Sarita mentioned. I think she, she said 60% or is it she 70%? She did. She
1: said no, sixty percent, 80% Huge. are beyond your control and 60 Yes, enormous. Number. Scary. And, you know, so
3: when it comes to those types of items, everyone in the enterprise – uh, is going to, you know, be, be related to that. But within even your, your other uh, major risk areas, I guess the point is you shouldn't think about it, oh, well, it's the senior executives, <laughs> you know, which is, which is one way. You think about risks that matter, strategic risk equals senior executive. That's not the case at all.
1: Okay. Uh, Bruce, go ahead. Bruce, thought Did about so the, I the right people? Uh, I
3: mm-hmm. agree, uh, agree
4: with Scott and Shorette's and point. Um, in terms of who should be the decision maker, I, I, I think it's the people who are responsible for the performance of the business. And uh, everybody's got some kind of performance accountability, so the people who should make the risk decisions are as much as possible the people who are responsible for the performance of the business. But getting back to the point about people, and this is a much overlooked fact, and I'm interested in, in that 60% statistic that Surette quoted, it doesn't matter the field of human endeavor whether you look at you know 25 years of history of airline accidents whether you look at highway safety statistics whether you look at accidents in the home whether you look at sarbanes oxley significant deficiencies that are reported human error accounts for 50 to 60% of all of those things consistently and you can drive down the number of airline incidents to a fraction of what they were 20 years ago human error is still 50 to 60% of the balance so you cannot manage risk in my mind without dealing with the human factor. In fact, if all you did was deal with the human factor, you'd probably be a very, very successful risk risk manager, risk manager. and uh, <laughs> that has to be taken into account.
1: Oh, we, we wish, it may, wish I might, right? Sarita, so, I'm going to let you wrap this one up before we go to break. Just one minute, please. Thoughts about the right people, yes. getting them in, and the role of... Go ahead, to talk to me.
2: Um, I think what we um, did very successfully in, in Xara was to differentiate between risk owners and risk champions. So we have risk owners and those are people that ultimately take accountability for risk at every layer of the organisation and that is on the strategic, tactical and operational layer We've got different risk owners in these different layers. And then we've appointed risk champions in these different layers. Now, these are um, disciplined individuals. (laughs) Um, No, they're not women. They're men. Um, In an engineering company, mostly men. Um, Mm. So we've got these risk champions that just hold the process together. So that ensure that um, the correct methodology is applied, that everybody understands the risk language, and that ensure that the risk meetings take place and that the risk gets locked and analyzed. So,
1: yes, I think that's
2: that's worked quite well um, for Xara.
1: Thank you very much, all of you. Thanks for allowing me that bonus question. Guess what? We're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, Bruce and Scott know what's happening, but Sarit is new to the show, so we're going to find out. If we fast-forward at Sarit, Five years to 2019, or if you love the idea that hindsight is 2020, take it all the way to six years. What would we be talking about on our topic today? In the and uh, what will have intervened? What will have changed in your opinion? So, risk management, driving value by levering technology, anything we discussed in the show. You'll give me your top one, two, three predictions. And if there's anything important to the conversation we didn't cover. You give me that, too. So we're going to go to break right now. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. What a terrific panel. Great insights, great expertise, and I can understand everything they're talking about. This is really good. So we're going to be right back after the break with the predictions round. We love to call it the crystal ball with Sarit Van Lagenberg from Xaro Resources in South Africa, Scott L. Mitchell, the chair of the global nonprofit OCEG, and Bruce McQuaig of GRC Solutions at SAP. Don't even think of touching that dial. You don't want to miss the predictions. We'll be right back. Michael, out.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Unleash the leadership potential of your finance talent now. Your business needs more than just compliant reports. Today's leading finance departments are asked to support business decision-making to help companies to succeed. With SAP's risk and finance solutions, you can provide the advisory that decision-makers are looking for. No matter what data source, no matter where you are, you can find the information you need to add value. Give your finance talent the right tools to be up to the challenge. www.sap.com SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions, Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers.
1: Uh, this is Bonnie D. Graham. We're coming back with our crystal ball segment, and we're going to start off with Sarit van Lagerenberg at Exaro Resources in South Africa. Sarit, how clear is the sky for you in terms of risk management driving value via technology? Can you see clearly ahead five or six years, or what time frame would you like to project for us, please?
2: Um, I'll uh, bet on five five to six years. I think in the okay. next um, six years. The term governance, risk, and compliance is going to disappear. I think it's going to be back to basics. It's going to be um, creating um, value for uh, shareholders as well as the broader stakeholder, community, and it's going to be about how companies do that on a certain value system. So I really think it's going to be back to good, good old um, values. You know, transparency, integrity, honest responsibility. Um, and then I also think it's going to really be about creating transparency at every layer of the organisation um, to ensure that shareholders um, have a level of transparency on um, how the company is faring in terms of achieving these strategic objectives internally in the companies. I think um, it's going to be really Uh, very much focused on achieving strategic objectives and what should be measured um, to ensure that we achieve that. One thing that I've discovered with our um, newly compiled risk appetite framework is that if you measure the right things and you ensure that you continuously make those pieces of important information available to the decision makers, um, you really change... The the uh, the types of things that the the board is busying themselves with and what they are talking about. Um, before you know, it was all about financial statements. You know, are we still a going concern? How is the revenue looking? How is the headline headline earnings per share looking? Nowadays, it's always it's also looking at other things. So it's not only looking at the financial, capital and financial information. It's also looking at um the manufactured capital how is how are our business processes looking you know are they are they fit for purpose in terms of achieving our strategic objectives how's our natural capital looking you know? do we have enough water to ensure that we keep on um, washing our coal to be able to export that um Do we have enough um, resources to mine for the future? And then on the on the on the human capital side, do we have the right resources, human resources, skills, and experience to ensure that we can take um, the resources out of the ground, that we can beneficiate them and sell them to a market? Then also on the social capital side, are we measuring the right things? Or do we ensure that um, that we have the right relationships to allow us? to be sustainable for the future. So it's really balancing all these capitals and um, measuring the right things, ultimately to ensure that we achieve our strategic objectives. And obviously, you know, in the background, governance, risk and compliance um, really uh, have an impact on all these capitals. But I don't think the focus will be in future on on governance, risk, and compliance as separate business processes. I think it will be really on how do we create value um, for our shareholders based on a value system and to ensure that we measure the right things to ensure that we achieve what we wanted to from the outset.
1: Thank you, Sarit. Wonderful. I want to turn over to Scott L. Mitchell at OCEG. Scott, I can give you exactly two minutes. Go ahead.
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean, if I were to just kind of narrowly focus on the, the topic of technology innovation and, and risk management, I'll echo uh, some of what Sarit said uh, and also build on our conversation around trying to get more of the human element. Uh, my prediction would be a lot of the, the technology in governance, risk management, compliance, et cetera. The, the, the cost of that is going to trend towards zero. I would almost give an analog of the CRM market, right, where the, the cost per um, enterprise user, for example, of CRM technologies uh, has really plummeted uh, insofar as the technology uh, that you're buying is just a glorified contact manager, right? If that's what you're buying, the price of that trends towards zero. That in the ERM or, or GRC world would be that rote you know, documentation of what we know, so I think a lot of the, the, the price and cost there is going to dramatically be reduced. But meanwhile, I see a lot of these data-gathering um, solutions uh, sort of going the opposite direction, being able to be priced uh, as they are, are uh, applied to, uh, to the big decisions in the enterprise. Uh, because, you know, you, you imagine making a strategic acquisition a little bit better or make, uh, actually being able to engage in certain strategies that were unavailable to you prior to having some of the information, those represent whole new lines of revenue in, uh, in the enterprise. And then the final bit would be just a whole new wave of technology that is intended to help people in the enterprise get paired uh, together for better decision-making. Again, rather than automating the human out, how can we, uh, or you know the technologies, the collaborative technologies, that will bring people together for decision-making, I think is something that I... Uh, We're just now seeing, and this isn't just project-based work. It's decision-making work that I I, I see in the future.
1: Thank you, Scott. And I can give, let's see, I have one minute to give to Bruce McQuake. So you're going to be my wrap-up.
3: I'll have to
4: talk Talk a little faster. Go ahead, Bruce. (laughs) Thanks a lot. So um, Mm -hmm. I have to say initially that um, I I think perhaps directionally uh, GRC and maybe even risk management will go in the direction that that, uh, Surratt suggested and perhaps disappear as a unique concept Uh, The caution I have, and I'm optimistic, but the caution I have is that there are very hardened silos out there, not bad necessarily, but hardened in terms of the COSOs and the COBITs and the ISOs of the world, that if anything are slow adapters uh, and not necessarily collaborative uh, in terms of their approaches. So I think if we're going to see fundamental change, and I think we have to have fundamental change, it has to come from the top of the organization Perhaps uh, the King Report, King Commission and some of those organizations that are driving uh, integrated reporting and standardized reporting those sorts of things. It will be supported by technology I think that can monitor social media for indications of consumer sentiment, employee sentiment. Uh, it'll be supported by technology that can survey grassroots employees who may be seeing trends that we need to know. It will be mm. supported by big data that can make all kinds of linkages between the cause and effect relationships that we think are that we think are critical. So I think it'll look a lot different, and it might be done by completely different people, but I think it'll be much, much more valuable uh, than perhaps what we're seeing today. There's really good examples of ERM and GRC, but they are, at this point in time, exceptions, and I think they have to become the rule rather than exceptions, and I think we have to do the, the right thing wrong or a little bit, and... Uh, Finally figure out how to make it work.
1: Thank you, Bruce. I have a one word answer for you because I have thirty seconds to close the show. Will the person who will be in charge at the top of the GRC totem pole in the next five or six years, are they already working inside most organizations or will they come from the outside or from an MBA program? Yes or no? Or yes quick. The yes, answer is inside. Inside. Thank you very much. That's what I wanted. I have my predictions. Tomorrow is Tuesday. That means it's time for HR Trends with Game Changers, 9 a.m. Pacific. Wednesday, it's Coffee Break with Game Changers at 8 a.m. Pacific, our flagship show. Thursday, Future of Business with Game Changers, 7 a.m. Pacific. It's early but worth getting up for. And next Monday, we'll be right back here with another interesting topic on financial excellence with Game Changers. Thank you, Sarit Van Lagenberg at Exaro in South Africa. Pretoria, thanks for calling in and joining us. Great points. Scott L. Mitchell at OC. CEG, and Bruce McQuaig at SAP. Always great to have you back on the show. Thank you to Aaron Hughes, Chris Grundy, Birgit Starmans at SAP, Michael and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham and here's my call to action. You know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you tomorrow right here on the Business Channel for HR Trends with Game Changers. (music) Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.